Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. The West Ham United manager, there he is on the right, sitting there, never shows his emotion, but he must be thinking all sorts of things at the moment, having seen his side give away a two-goal lead. Hurst, Dorinda! Hello and welcome to the latest in the lockdown interviews. Hope you're doing well. Not long now until the season restarts. We absolutely cannot wait. My name's Sam Davis and here on Back of the Net, the AC Bournemouth podcast, we'll be resuming our normal episodes as soon as it gets started. So we cannot wait for that. Now, we've got a big name on today, by the way, of Harry Redknapp. This show is sponsored by Living Home Tech. Spending more time at home makes you realise just how much we all need reliable technology for entertainment, video conferencing, gaming and more. Living Home Tech are professionals in the design and installation of cinemas, networks, lighting, security systems and much more for your home. that work every time and look, feel and sound great too. Experience Living Home Tech at livinghometech.co.uk now, you can watch this interview at youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast. The video absolutely banged. We even did a highlights reel of 20 minutes. Now, we thought we'd have Harry Redknapp for an hour. Turned out to be two hours. So what we're going to do, we're going to split it in half as there was a pause for dinner halfway through. But he did return to complete the tale of his footballing journey with special attention to AFCB. So... We'll be discussing being player and boss at AFCB, managing Jamie, being gaffer at West Ham, Saints, Spurs and QPR, winning the cup with Pompey, whether he's got any regrets on England, Sandbanks and beyond, plus the I'm a Celebrity experience. This was a fantastic chat. And with Harry was myself, Jeff Hayward 
and Neil Dawson. Harry Redknapp, how are you? I'm good, guys. Yeah, great. Thank you. Seems that you've been uh, really, really busy recently and you've got loads of media going on. So we're going to try to finish bang on nine as we can because no, all sorts of TV this. stuff you've got going on, talk sport, etc. I'm sure we'll come tomorrow, on to what you're doing. Yeah. And we've got sure a programme you're... coming out tomorrow night that I think all football fans would love. It's, uh, it's the Harry's Heroes that we did last year and uh, we mm. did a European road trip this year. It's a fantastic Watch, I think, you know, yeah. all England international players, you know, David Seaman, See Paul that. Merson, Matt Letizia, full of full of great players and uh, good stories about them all now, how their lives have changed and, uh, and some good football as well. Good stuff. Can't wait to talk about that a bit later. And uh, also with us tonight, we've got uh, Jeff Hayward. Jeff, how are you? Really good, Sam. Very good. Nice to see you, Harry. And you, Jeff. Yeah. Good. And also, we've got uh, Neil Dawson here as well. Neil, how are you? I'm very good, Sam. Hi, hi, Jeff. Hi, Harry. Good to see you. Neil, how are you doing? So, um, Jeff and Neil, you guys might remember Harry's playing career in the first part of his management uh, a little bit better than I can. So, I'm going to take a back seat for a while. So, uh, Jeff, I'll um, I'll let you lead the line of inquiry tonight. <laughs> sure. Well, Harry, I remember being in the newsstand when you were a fleet-footed winger for us back in the early seventies. You uh, old enough. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, you were signed for 30-odd thousand, I think it was, uh, by John Bond. Um, yeah. And you'd been playing at West Ham with the likes of Bobby Moore and, and Martin Peters, Jeff Hurst and all that. So how did, how did the move come about? And what was it like playing under John Bond with the likes of Boyer, Phil Boyer and Ted McDougall and that side? Well, what, yeah, I was at West Ham with John and um, uh, John Bond was a senior player when I was there. And, and amazingly, we ended up, Myself and Frank Lampard used to go and share a coaching, do a coaching job at a school in Canning Town called Pretoria School. We used to get £2.50 in the afternoon. And John Bond had uh, he'd finished playing. John Bond was a great player for West Ham, right back. He called him Muffin. He had a kick like a mule. Um, but he could hit a pass 50 yards like you'd never seen. And um, we, me and Frank, as I said, this coaching job. And, and John lost his job at Gillingham or somewhere. And suddenly, so he, we end up sharing our job with him at the school. So instead of me and Frank getting, we did four afternoons, instead of getting £10 each, we end up with like, I don't know, £6, whatever, a week between the three of us. And then suddenly John came in one day and said he'd apply for the job at, uh, as coach at Bournemouth and uh, assistant manager. Because in them days, I think the, quite often the, the owners, they picked a manager, then they also picked an assistant. And so John came for an interview for the assistant manager's job. And I think Cyril Lee would look like he would get the job coming from Ipswich. But I think he missed his train down or whatever. John Bond went for the interview for the assistant manager and ended up getting, they liked him so much, they gave him the manager's job. And, uh, and yeah, and I came down and, uh, and signed for John. I'd always got on well with him. And um, there were some fantastic players here at that time at Bournemouth. You know, you say Ted McDougall, Phil Boyer, Mel Machin was as good a right back as I've ever seen. I mean, uh, you know, Mel, Mel should have played for England. He came here from Gillingham. Bondy bought him for about, I don't know, a couple of peanuts, you know, £1,000 or, or or free transfer or whatever. But it, it was full of quality players. And I think as it was proved when Bondy left here, he took, he took half the team to Norwich and they all ended up playing in the top division. David Jones, Tony Powell... They were all players here at that time. You know, um, he took people like John Benson, Fred Davis, John Sainty, 
the whole group of them all disappeared and all went up to Norwich when John left the club. But you stayed, Harry, didn't you? Yeah, I was here and I stayed here. Actually, I went to Norwich with John. I had a knee injury at the time and I was struggling badly. Um, little, try to get me fit, couldn't get my knee right. I went on loan, he was going to sign me, but then uh, I failed a medical. So I went on loan for a couple of months, see if they could get me fit, but my knee didn't improve at all. And uh, so I ended up, ended up staying at Bournemouth, you know. It was difficult because, you know, John had really, I mean, from having a fantastic team that were going to get promoted that year, uh, when John left, the whole of the team left almost and uh, left us in a difficult situation. I think we won about one or two games in the rest of the season. So we went from second in the league. We were well clear, I think, of the third team to, uh, to you know, finishing probably in the bottom half. Yeah, it did leave a bit of a bad feeling, as I remember yeah. back in the day. But, uh, but, yeah, you stuck around and then injury ended your uh, time at Bournemouth, wasn't it? Because you went off to, was it Seattle, Neil? But... Yeah, I went out and played at Seattle with Jimmy Gabriel. Jimmy was a player at Bournemouth. Jimmy signed on the same day as me from uh, Southampton. Jimmy Gabriel was a fantastic player. Played for Scotland, played for Everton. Whenever Everton won the cup in, or oh, beat Sheffield Wednesday back, it might have been. Oh, I'm guessing now 60, uh, 60, maybe 65, 63, whatever. 65 might have been 67. I'm not sure what year it was they won the cup, but Jimmy Gabriel played in that cup-winning team against Sheffield Wednesday, uh, and Jimmy was a great guy. And he went out to play at Seattle with Bobby Howe, who Bobby played here as well. And uh, I went out there and played with, with Jimmy and Bobby. Um, Jimmy became the manager, myself and Bobby Howell. We all lived on the Little Riversley estate in Purewell. Um, and we all used to, we lived within 50 yards of each other. And we used to travel in, in one car to train at Bournemouth every day, talk football. So Jimmy went out first of all to Seattle. He got the manager's job and he, he took me and Bobby out there. And we ended up becoming his assistants. We had a, a fantastic time in Seattle. It was quite a brave move at the time, wasn't it? Because obviously you'd have had, I think Mark and Jamie would have been quite young yeah. then. Yeah. Uh, I just wondered, how did it work out for the family? And also, did you ever mark anyone famous? Did you mark Pelle at a corner? Yeah, right. no, I went out there and my first game in Seattle was uh, we played the New York Cosmos to open the new stadium. We had played we played in the Kingdom and there were 66,000 people there for the opening and we played the New York Cosmos. And they had Pele, they had Carlos Alberto at right back, who was the captain of the best football team I've ever seen play football, the 1970 Brazilian team that won the World Cup. Um, yeah, it was just full of superstars, you know, New York Cosmos. And I went out and Jeff arrived, Jeff Hurst, he arrived the same week and he played his first game in that, uh, he made his debut for Seattle Sounders in that game with me. So, yeah, it was an amazing time, really. We loved it in Seattle. We had a great time there. Um, we took a few players from Bournemouth. Mickey Cave came out. Um, Mickey was a great guy, you know, good player at Bournemouth. And, uh, uh, and Mickey, fortunately, Mickey died very young uh, while he was in Seattle. Um, we also took Frank Barton. Mel Machin came over, who had now gone to Norwich, but Mel came and played. So we always had a big Bournemouth uh, influence here. And that was your first move into coaching, wasn't it, Harry? So yeah. How much did you learn from Ron Greenwood and John Bond? This is a question from David Cordell. And, and what influence did, did that sort of exposure to those great coaches have in you? In the every, every, I learned everything from them. As a kid, you know, a young player at West Ham, I mean, I left school just before my 15th. I was 14 when I actually left school, went to West Ham. 
played in the FA Youth Cup winning team my first year there as a 15-year-old. We won the FA Youth Cup, uh, beat Liverpool in the final um, over two legs, 6-5 on aggregate. Having lost 3-1 at Liverpool and came back 2-1 down at half-time at, at Upton Park. Packed crowd on cup final night, it was actually, in, in May. And uh, Tommy Smith played for Liverpool that night. And we beat them five. We scored four goals in the second half of the game to beat them 6-5. Um, but we used to go every day. The, the young players would go into the cafe every day and the older players went into a different cafe called the Casataris. It was a, a very well-known, became a very famous cafe because it was where all the players went at West Ham. And that's probably where football was, you know, so many great coaches came out of West Ham. And that was probably where they did most of their groundwork. They Malcolm Allison would be in there, Noel Cantwell. Dave Sexton, all went on to be uh, Franco Farrell, all went on to be great managers, John Bond, Kenny Brown. All these people would sit there moving pepper pots around, sit there till five o'clock in the afternoon, drinking pots and pots of tea. And as young players, when we graduated from the one calf to their calf, you sit there listening on the outside, not you know, and listening to what they were talking about and how involved they were in the coaching. But, uh, yeah, that's really where we learned. And Ron Greenwood was was the best coach to this day that I've ever seen. I've never seen anyone really who could come anywhere near him. Brilliant. So, at some point, you'd have got the call to come back to uh, Bournemouth. I presume you still had a house here. How did, how did, it, how did it, you end up working as assistant to David Webb? How did that come Well, about? I went to – I came back from America and um, Bobby played. Bobby Moore played in Seattle with us. So, it was me, Jeff and Bobby in the same team. And Bobby, you know, I was – now playing and coaching and Bobby said if ever I got a job Harry so I'd love you to come and work with me I said yeah great then I moved on to Phoenix Arizona with Jimmy Gabriel we took over a team in Phoenix and uh, it was rather a disastrous uh, episode the guy who started the team up uh, a guy called Len Lesser he got I think about six investors involved all piled millions into the club and he stole all their money it was he was a con man and me and Jimmy were left high and dry with our families, you know, rented accommodation. Anyway, uh, I came back home and I went to Oxford. Bobby rung me. He said, Harry, I just took over at Oxford City. Um, you fancy coming here with me? And he said, you know, I saw it as a stepping stone because Bobby was fantastic. I mean, he was a great footballer, you know, the greatest captain we've ever had in England. And, uh, and not only was he a great captain, great player, had a, 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 amazing football knowledge and brain. And I thought, yeah, I'll go and have a year with Bobby and whatever, and we'll move on from there. But we had a year at Oxford and it didn't work out. It was very tough. We played in the Ishmael League and uh, I soon found out that it was a league, you know, I think people have to be in a league where you know the league. It's like being a Premier League player all your life, never watching football in the large divisions and then suddenly going to manage your team in Division 2 as it is now. You wouldn't have a clue where to start, where to get the players from. You know, we went in the Ishmael League and all the teams in it, whether it was Averley or Farnborough, they've been in that league for 20 years, some of the managers. First, been players. They knew every player. And me and Bobby really didn't have a clue where to find the players from. It was very, very difficult. And so we only had a year. Then, then David Webb rang me and asked me if I'd come back to Bournemouth with him and, uh, and work with him. And we, I was, we were in the fourth division. Um, and Webby, it was great. I loved it. You know, we, we Webby picked up a few players from non-league, Nigel Spackman. I think he paid about £4,000 for Nigel from Andover or somewhere. We had Trevor Morgan. We had Dean Mooney. We had lots of lower division non-league players, if you like. Webby was good at, had lots of contacts. And we got promoted out the league. And uh, it was a great, really enjoyable time. 
And you won promotion, didn't you, in that uh, You won that promotion, season. yeah. Yeah, and then Dave, Dave, I mean, Dave really, Dave, you know, he was very forward thinking. I think he really wanted to be involved in owning the club. Mr. Walker was trying to sell it at the time, the chairman. Mr. Walker was a amazing man, really. He was a very wealthy man. He was a solicitor from Christchurch, but very, very wealthy. He owned property everywhere. He owned Arthur Bournemouth, I think. And uh, he bought John Bond as manager when he first came. But now, I think at that time he was looking to move on and David was looking to buy the club. And they had a bit of a fallout, I think, about one or two things. And David left and they asked me to take the team. My first game that I took over was Lincoln away. And uh, Lincoln, I think, were top of the league. We were struggling. John Kirk was with me. You know, John was a legend at Bournemouth. Great man, kit man, trainer, been everything. And me and John slap up to Lincoln for the game. Every game in the country was being called off that day. Every pitch was frozen solid. It was absolutely bitter, minus five, six, seven degrees everywhere. And Lincoln was absolutely bitterly cold. And the pitch was like concrete, like a skating rink. And anyway, the, it was the only game, well, one of the only games that was on that survived the weather that day. It should never have been played. It was an incredible pitch. And we only had long nylon studs. We were struggling. The club was really poor. And they come running out in them little pimpled boots. And I'm watching my players come out. I've only took over on the Friday. Dave had a fallout with the chairman on Friday. And they, my players were coming out, slipping as they were running onto the pitch. And the Lincoln players were like ballet dancers, just gliding over the pitch. Well, we were nine nil down with half hour to go. And I'm thinking this could be 15, 16, 17. This could be a world record. And we got a corner. I don't know how we managed to get a corner. And John, Captain Kirk, as he was captain's going to our centre off, get up, get up. I'm going, get back, get back. I said, we're not going to win. We're not going to win 10-9. You know what I mean? We so we hung on in the last half hour to not concede any more goals somehow. But we end up in 9-0. And I thought that's my first and my last game in as a manager. I thought I won't survive that one. The following yeah. week, we go to Leighton Orient and get beat 5-0. We come back home. Then we play Oxford, who are second in the league or top of the league at the time. We play Oxford at home, Jim Smith's team, great team. And we beat them. We then go to Gillingham, who are flying. They're in the top four. We beat them. I think we beat them. 4-2, 5-2, whatever. We battered them. Amazing. Alex Stock said to me, Alec was still around at the time. Alec was one of the great managers in football, one of the great football ambassadors. And, you know, he managed Yeovil when they had the great cut run and Fulham when they got to the cup final. Like, And Alex said to me, uh, Harry, tomorrow, he said, you've done an amazing job. You've turned it round. We've had two incredible wins. The chairman on Monday is going to offer you the job. He said, it's a board meeting. Write on a piece of paper what you want, you know, a little bit of petrol money, uh, you know, a bit of part of your telephone paid when it's club business and whatever, all these little bits. He said, and um, they, they're going to make you manager. No, I'm sitting in the office. Mr. Walker knocks on the door. Oh, good. I've got my little list there. Uh, you know, a bit of petrol, a bit of bonus, if we, whatever. Uh, and he said, oh, Harry, um, I've got some bad news. I've sold the club and I can't guarantee your position. So I thought, oh, that was the end of that again, you know. But uh, the new owners came in, Anton Johnson, and bought the club. He bought Brian Tyler with him, Don Megson, and they wanted me to stay. They begged me to stay and uh, I stayed on. And, and you, stayed on. you stayed on. And uh, was it that season where George Bester came to the club as well? George came, yeah. I mean, uh, Anton was a character. I mean, he was... 
he owned Rotherham, he owned he later bought Southend and he, he bought Bournemouth. Um and they managed to get George down here to play. I mean, you know, best he was the best player I'd ever seen in his country when he was in his prime. He was a genius, one he what a player, and he was a great guy as well. So to have George here, the gates went up to about ten thousand, uh, which was incredible. Uh, I think the tight, actually, I'll be truthful. I think the turnstiles broke the first game he played, and Anton had all his mates collecting the money in in uh, in <laughs> in uh, whatever. And I think they, I think the gate got put down as about two and a half thousand. I think it was actually <laughs> ten and a half here. <laughs> but they, those were the days. There was more. There was more than that locked out in the car park. I think. I know. The, uh, the um, it wasn't long after that that uh, in the next season you beat Manchester United two 0 in the FA Cup. I always thought that was the game that put Bournemouth back on the map for the first time in ten years, and also put you firmly on the map. Is that how you yeah. saw it as well? Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. You know, they were cup holders. They had a fantastic team. You know, great players, Brian Robson, people like that playing there, and uh, we were a struggling. You know, third division team really very very. Difficult, you know, we had no money. We had a few loans, a few free transfers. And um, so, yeah, it was, you know, we'd, we thought this is really going to be a difficult game, you know, if we can just keep the score down. But we absolutely never were any in any danger. Milton scored and then Ian Thompson scored and we, we never looked like getting beat. It was amazing. We, we just were men inspired on the day. You know, it was just one of those... Amazing, great cup games that you know we used to get in them days. And I think probably the most decisive thing again that happened in your career was signing Colin Clark. Do you want to just talk us through yeah. that? Because yeah, he, I took Clark. Yeah, he he was, he was a fantastic player, but also when you sold him, he financed the promotion team, didn't he? Yeah, I took I, I bought Clarky. What happened? I mean, Clarky was at Tranmere, and um, they were asking. Uh, we paid twenty thousand pound for him. And uh, a tribunal. He scored, I think, I'm guessing now, but I think he got about 36 goals for Tranmere that year. And um, I took him at a tribunal. His wages were low, obviously, and everything's out of contract or whatever. And we paid £20,000 for him. And uh, I remember going to the chairman and saying, I want to buy this boy, Colin Clark. I think he could be a fantastic player. And he said, No chance, Harry. We haven't got £20,000. And Four of the vice presidents here, um, back in the day, Tony Christofoli, who was a great man, he used to sponsor the ball and sponsor everything. Dave Smith, you know, normal great guys. I had a chat with them, and they said, "Look, Harry, we'll all put four thousand each in. I was going to throw four thousand in, and we were going to buy Colin Clark." So I said to the chairman, "We'll buy him, but if we sell him, we'll consult him." This was like, it later became third party ownership in them days or whatever it was called. And he went, um, let me think about that. And he came back, he went, no, if you're that keen to buy him and you're, you know, you're willing to put your friend's money up, we'll find the money from somewhere. And that's what they did. And we bought him and the club did that. And we sold him, as I say, for, to Southampton at the end of the season for big money. Harry, with the, with the um, at the end of that season, you had a right clear out of that squad, I remember, and you brought in eight or nine players, a lot of whom we'd never heard of, that, that then went on to win the league. Were they all players you had in mind? Had you designed that squad in your head? Um, well, you know, you, it was, there was last minute, you know, we played pre-season, we never won a game. Cole Richards came from Enfield, 
who I went to watch on Bank Holiday Monday playing for the England non-league team against Wales. It was a beautiful sunny day, and so I said, I'm going, I'm going to Nanny and Barra today to watch England. She said, "What, you, Harry? What you got to go to football on a Monday for?" You know, I said, "I'm going to watch this game." So, I'll, you know, anyway, I slap all the way there. I watched the game. Cole Richards plays. Stuart Morgan recommended him to me. He was my chief scout. Stuart was brilliant. Knew the non-league inside out. He'd managed Weymouth when they had great teams. Graham Roberts, Tony Agana, uh, Andy Townsend, all them players. He bought all them. And anyway, he said to me, Harry, he's a good player. And I went down and I loved him. Big number, big front man, six foot three, powerful, looked like Cole Lewis, the sprinter. Anyway, after the game, I'm waiting by. They used to come in and have a... Um, a, a, a drink and a, some sandwiches and a cup of, you know, a cup of tea and a bit of cake or whatever. And they'd have little presentations. England played Wales. Anyway, I'm hiding behind this old wooden shed at Nuneaton Borough, waiting for Cole Richards. I'm going to tap him up, you know, tell him he should come to Bournemouth. And I'm waiting there. And, he, and then the players are coming in. I'm stood high. It was like, I'm hiding behind. Suddenly, here he, Cole, Cole, call him over. He looked at me, I can see him there, six foot three, big, big handsome boy he was. He went, what do you want? I said, I want to talk to you, Cole. He said, what about? I said, my name's Harry Redknapp, I'm manager of Bournemouth. He come walking over. He had to walk, he had to walk on, he had to, he had a walk on him, you know, bowling over. I said, Cole, I'm manager of Bournemouth. Uh, I'd like to, would you be interested in coming to Bournemouth? He said, what league are you playing? I said, we're in the uh, division three. He went, yeah, but what league? Ishmin? I went, no, football league. Because I've never heard of them, Bournemouth. I went, yeah, yeah, we're in the league. He said, what, you're full-time professional? I said, yeah. He said, that's what I want to be. I said, well, we, well, we want you to be one. He went, right. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I'm interested. I said, okay, great. Anyway, I'll ring his manager, Eddie McCluskey. So I'm, Eddie, would you sell him? Blah, blah. Yeah, Harry, I would want 10 grand for him. Okay, great. I come down and go to meet Eddie. Cole's, when I go to meet Eddie, Cole's sitting there with another boy who plays Renfield. Another big black boy. So we're sitting there, their mates are chatting away and I'm going to see Eddie. He wants to see Cole first or whatever. Cole goes in to talk to Eddie McCluskey, the manager. I'm at Enfield now. I'm talking to his mate. His mate said to me, you're signing the wrong player, Eddie. I went, why? What do you mean? He said, I'm ten times better than him. I went, here. He said, yeah, he said, I'm better than he is. He said, I'll play with him up front for Enfield. He said, I've, I've got 28 goals or whatever. He's only got 15. He said, I'm miles better than him. Take me. I went, well, I'll have a look at you. But anyway, I'll go in. I sign Cole. He comes in. We play five pre-season games. We get beat everywhere. We go to Weymouth, get beat. Go to Yo or Bath, get beat. Cole is so bad. I've never seen anyone so useless in my life, right? I called him in. I said, you're going to wake up or what? He said, wait, wait till the real game start, Harry. I said, the real games? You've never played in a real game. What would you know? <laughs> anyway, he comes to me. So he says to me, uh, my mate wants a trial. I said, oh, does he? I said, what position does he play, Cole? He says, a striker, same as me. I said, is he as good as you, Cole? He said, no, nah, he's not as good as me. I said, in that case, tell him not to... Bother. And he went, oh. Anyway, off he goes. We, last pre-season game, we got to Crystal Palace. He said, my mate's playing for them today, the one you wouldn't give a trial to. Oh, is he? I said, well, we won't have to worry about anything, Cole, will we? Anyway, when I, when he, 
After he, he ran rings around us for about eight, 90 minutes, I realised Ian Wright was better than him. <laughs> so, uh, that was that was Cole. But as it turned out, Cole, Cole Lewis, uh, Cole Richard, sorry, became a fantastic player for me. That year, he was incredible up front. Him, I took Trevor Aylock on transfer deadline, right two days before the season started. And everything changed. We went on the pitch on the Friday morning. Trevor arrived on the on the Thursday. He trained on the Friday. We were dropping balls. The tactic where we go drop balls up to his chest. There was no one could hold the ball better than Trevor Aylott. No pace, but hold it in. Bring people, old people off. Had a fantastic touch. Drop it up to him. Hold it in. Play off him. That's how we're going to play. I had Tony Pulis, who I took on a free from Newport. I had Sean O'Driscoll, nothing from Fulham. I had Mark O'Connor, nothing from Bristol Rovers. I had Mark Newson. I mean, Mark, you know, so many stories. Everyone was a story, really. Mark Newson was a story, you know. Uh, Mark Newson was at Maidstone. And uh, again, uh, Stuart Morgan came to me and said, uh, Harry, there's a boy at Maidstone. He's fantastic, Mark Newson. Best, best player in non-league. I said, really? He said, yeah, different class. We've got, we've got to get him. Anyway, I said, all right. Anyway, a week later, Stuart said, oh, I can't believe our luck. I said, what's happened? He said, he's gone to Tottenham for a week. Tottenham had took him. Tottenham's in the Tottenham of Tottenham. I went, really? You're kidding? He said, yeah, he's gone there. They took him for a week. Anyway, on the Tuesday, they had a reserve game, Tottenham. Stuart said, I'm going to the game at their training ground. He rang me after the game. He said, he was the best player on the pitch. Oh, he said, Tottenham are taking for sure. Oh, no. Anyway, what can we do? Nothing. I'll get a phone call that night from somebody at Maidstone where he played, a secretary, who said to me, Harry, I know you've been after Mark Newson, haven't you? I said, yeah, it looks like he's going to Tottenham, doesn't it? He said, well, he's not on a contract. He's a non he's not, he hasn't got a contract. He's a non-contract player. He said, he's, he's not registered. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he don't belong to any, he don't belong to us. He belongs to us, but he's not, he said, and this, between this time of year and this time of year, he's a free agent. I said, you you sure? He said, well, I'm the secretary, of course, I'm sure. Anyway, with that, I ring Mark, he said, here's his number, if you want to ring him, get him down. So I ring him up, Mark Newson, Tuesday night. I said, Mark, he said, well, I played today with Spurs Reserves, Aaron. I think I've done well. He said, I think they might be interested in signing me. I said, Come down and meet me. He said, well, no. oops, sorry. He said, well, oh, my dogs are barking at someone. He said, well, I've got a day off tomorrow. I said, well, jump on a train. I'll pick you up at the station. Come down. Now, please, just have a chat with me. You've got nothing to lose. You're not training at Tottenham tomorrow. You go back to Tottenham Thursday and train if you want. Sorry, lads. So he said, uh, all right, okay, I'll come down. So he comes down. I'll meet him, pick him up. We take him to La Lupa's restaurant, me and Brian Tyler. Sit down, have a bit of pasta with my make him an offer. I said, come here, I want to make, I'll make you captain. He went, whoa, you know, let me go and see what Tottenham have got. So I said, no, we can't. You, if you go back to Tottenham, I said, I've got to do it today, you know, and we want you to come. It, he, he never had a job. He was out of work, struggling, just getting a few quid off the Maidstone. He said, all right. Anyway, you're not, I said, you're not going back on the train till you sign. We, eight o'clock that night, he signs. We get it done. I rung Mr Young at registrations in the meantime. Is there a Mark Newson registered with Maystone? No. I said, what that mean, Mr. Young? He said, that means he's not registered. He said, he can sign for anybody. He's not, he's not got under contract. Okay, great. So we sign him. I ring, I ring Barry Fry. Barry, uh, it's Harry Redknapp. Hello, H, how are you going, son? He said to me. 
He went, how are you? I went, yeah, lovely, Barry. I said, I've just signed Mark Newson. Oh, you want to sign Mark? He said, no. Nah, he, he said he's got a top to make 200 grand plus 100 grand after games, another 100 grand after more games. He said he played in their reserves. He said, different class. I went, no, I've signed him. He went, what do you mean? You're, what are you talking about? I said, I've signed him. He said, how can you sign him? We hadn't agreed to fee. How can you sign him? He's got a Tottenham. I said, no, he's, he's now a Bournemouth player. I said, we sent the contract in. He's Mr. Young with registrations. He's, he's a Bournemouth player. You what, Redknapp? He said to me, I'll tell you what. He said, you've had it. I'm going to send two blokes down there, shoot your bleach kneecaps off. He called me everything. I went, Barry, you should have had him on a contract, mate. Unlucky. He put the phone down. <laughs> ten, two minutes, ten minutes later, the chairman rings me. Jim Thompson, I think his name was. He was the chairman of the league as well. Harry, he said, I must apologise. I do apologise for the way Barry spoke to you. We don't talk like that. We don't do things like that, Maidstone, he said. I said, no, no problem, Mr. Thompson. I said, I understand this, you know. He said, look, we've, we've made a mistake. We've made a mistake, OK? And you found out, he said, and we've been caught out. Uh, but let's be gentlemen. Let's come to an agreement on the fee. We've been offered £200,000 from Tottenham, plus add-ons. Where do you stand? I said, we don't stand anywhere, Mr. Thompson. We've signed him. He belongs to Bournemouth. He's not... There is no fee. He's not on contract. He went, you He called me everything, right? I went, sorry, Mr. Thompson, you should have... I put the phone down. Next day, I'm in the office with Brian Tyler, Secretary. Harry, there's a big bloke here. There's three people, the chairman, the manager, and some big bloke uh, from, from Maidstone. Oh, no. Me and Brian crep out across the pitch. We said, get our cars, bring our cars around the other side. We left our keys with, don't tell them, tell them we're not here. We left the keys, went round, walked across the pitch, out the other, opened the far gate, the groundsman. The cars got round, we shot off and drove off. <laughs> he played this for what? I made him captain. We won the league that year. Uh, and I sold him for 200 or whatever thousand pound to Fulham. Yeah. I think he went to from, was it Fulham? He was a great player, yeah. a great player, Mark. Yeah, and he played Mark, in every Mark, position, didn't he? As well, he wasn't yeah, just a right he back. Goals, he, you know. And then, and then anyway, we were going well. David Puckett got injured at Bristol Rovers that year when we were flying. He got about twenty odd goals up until then. Done his cruciate ligaments, finished him for the year. Cole Richards and and uh, Trev Raylock only had two strikers, and they carried the bat, and they they were magnificent. But I took Big Willow, John Rudge, rung me. We were hovering around at top four. John Rudge, ex-Bournemouth, was my big mate, rung me up. He said, Harry, he said, um, I've got to, we've got to sell. We can't pay the wages. I've got a player here who'll get you promoted. John Williams. I said, no, I've, I remember him playing against us, you know, big centre-half. He said, we'd take 20 grand for him. He said he's worth treble that. I said, no, I, do, I like him. I like him. I said, all right, listen, we'll take him. We made two signings. That, that Him and Richard Cook from Tottenham. 25 grand for Cookie, I think 20 grand for Willow. They came in and suddenly we would, it was incredible. Willow never, every week Willow scored. He was just a leader. He was an incredible player for me at Bournemouth. He was fantastic character. Um, little Cookie was amazing, scoring goals. I had him and little Mark O'Connor on the other wing. Big two, the two up front, as I said. Trevor, you know, Tony Pulist. Sean O'Driscoll, Mark Newson, Mark Whitlock, uh, who did great from Southampton, partner Clarky deal with P David Puckett, Big Willow, and Paul Morell, who was a fantastic mm. left-back, great left-back, took him on a free transfer from Weymouth, nicked him again, he was out of contract, 
and we nicked him off of Weymouth. And, and Jerry Payton, incredible goalkeeper, Irish international. What a now, this is where This is where I can start to come in. So I've let uh, Jeff and Neil sort of speak so far, but uh, my sort of AFC Bournemouth memories start towards the late 80s, early 90s. And speaking of Paul Morrell and John Williams, we had them on um, very recently. And uh, there was a story which uh, one of the people watching live on YouTube, Paul Kenwood, mentioned where uh, Sean O'Driscoll went down with a bit of a head, uh, with a head injury. Do you seem to remember that one, Harry? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the trainer said, don't know. I can't, did I say, tell him it's Pele. I can't remember what I said. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I do remember, yeah, he said he's got an he don't know who he is. I said, tell him he's Pelly, tell him to get up. <laughs> Different world in them days, wasn't it? Did you ever think that we could um did you ever think that we could push on to the top flight once we we're in the no, know, second tier? Never in a million years. <laughs> no. Never ever could I see I mean to to get promoted and win the league, that was Oh, I love my time at Bournemouth. So it was an incredible part of my life. And, you know, training in the park, getting thrown off by the park keeper. Tommy Effernan, who was part of that promotion team, Tommy was a great player. Tommy letting the park keeper's tyres down. And I'm saying, Tommy, this ain't helping the cause, mate. You know what I mean? And the park keeper, you know, booting the spokes of his bike or saying, Tommy wouldn't. Uh, next day, he'd throw us off again. And, to think that, you know, and I thought winning the league is no one's ever going to beat that. And then Eddie came along and just completely blew us out of the water, didn't he? What, they, what they've achieved since then has been amazing. There was always rumours, Harry, um, when you had that, when you were at the absolute height of that season with um, Ian Bishop and Luther Blissett, there was rumours that there were clubs sniffing around you. Did anyone ever come in for you and did you have an interview? Yeah. yeah, I got offered the West Ham job then. I got offered the West Ham job. Um, Told Brian, Brian Tyler, we had a meet, went round Jim Nolan's house and Jim Nolan said to Harry, I don't want you to go. We don't want you to go. We want you to stay here. And I stayed. I swear to God, I stayed. He said to me, you know, I thought you looked after me when I took over. I had not, listen, I had no, we were struggling. I mean, you know, Jim Nolan took me to get my first car, really, of any use. I mean, I was driving about an old banger, you know. And then he, he took me to get me a club car and they looked after me and I thought, well, you know, and he, they wanted me. And I loved, loved it here so much. And uh, I turned the job down. Mr. Kearns rang me, who was at West Ham. And so, we, you know, we've had all the applications in. We didn't get the one that we really wanted and that was yours. Uh, would you would you be interested in coming as our manager? And I said, I would. I'll be true. I said, I would, Mr. Kearns. Yeah, of course I would. When I spoke to Brian, he went, rung Jim up, Jim Nolan, went round Jim's house. I love Jim Nolan. Fantastic man for me, and we went round there, and and you know they said, listen, Harry, you, you, you know you, you, it's they love you here. You got your life's in, getting it's good here, and and I stayed. You know I didn't go, but I could have gone then. So Sean O'Driscoll and Tony Pulis went on to have long managerial careers, Harry. Um, yeah. Do you see? Did you see, or do you see any of your self in the way they manage? No, not at all. No, <laughs> no. Tony, Tony wanted to boot everything that moved. True. You know, Tony was Tony did great. I mean, and everyone's got a story. Tony Pulis, he's at Newport County. I drive to Newport on a Tuesday night to watch Tony play. I'm slapping down in the little car, club, little club car down to Newport. He's, oh yeah, they want to get rid of him. He played against us earlier that year. And I had a fantastic midfield player called Keith Williams, who was hard as nails. And Tony Pulis 
absolutely nearly killed him. I mean, he hit him with a tackle. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And I thought, he's doing He's youthful. And um, Interestingly, though, we had um, uh, Keith Williams and we asked him who, who would probably come off better in a 50-50. And Keith Williams backed himself on that. <laughs> well, I don't know. He didn't that day. Keith was on his <laughs> But Tony, Tony had this wicked two-footed tackle like yeah. that. His legs would come out. Like, you know, he'd pull them in and then... And it was normally just below the knees, um, that tackle. So anyway, I'll drive to Newport, get there. I'm going to go and have a look at him, make sure that that, that day against Bournemouth wasn't a fluke and whatever. And I walk in the little, again, little wooden hut of a clubhouse, quarter past seven. It's rained all the way. Game's being called off again. Floods on the roads. I get to Newport, hell of a journey, you know, driving that time of night. He's sitting in there having a cup of tea. He's been dropped. I went... He looks at me. I went, I'll come to watch you tonight. He went, oh, Harry, get me to Bournemouth. I'd love to come to Bournemouth and play for you. I went, all right, no problem. So we took him. They gave him away and we, we brought him here. And he did an amazing job for me. But no, mm-hmm. Tony was very different to me. I mean, you know, I'd, we had different ideas, different philosophies on the game. But together, we worked, we worked great. I mean, he was a great, he was a very organised person, Tony. Everything was pretty methodical with him. He was an organiser and he liked a certain style of play. I mean, I, I was, I love flair players. I like people that could play and really, and Sean was the same. I mean, Sean was like, we called him noisy because mm. no one ever heard him speak, you know, <laughs> and he, he would sit on the coach reading a book that fat. I mean, he'd be sitting like, you know, his glasses <laughs> on reading. But Sean did, I mean, Sean, you know, did excellent. He came in uh, a fantastic coach, and but they were both great lads. Sean would run all day. Sean, yeah. you know, he never stopped running. It was like someone wound him up, and he just ran and ran and tackle and close. He was the best I'd ever seen at closing people down. He'd just make the distance, 10, 15 yards, bang, they thought they had it, and he'd go and nick it off them. What he did with it when he got it, I wouldn't always be sure, but he would. He was <laughs> amazing in that, uh, winning the ball back. And Tony was like another. And them two, really, I... I didn't have a great deal of ability between them in midfield, but I had two fantastic wingers. Mark O'Connor could play like you wouldn't believe, mm. you know, coming on his right foot, play balls into a clever little footballer. And Richard Cook on the other side was a great little winger and the two up front. So I, I went with them. They were, you know, fine. Did the job for me, solid, every week. Give you knew what they were going to give you. Great pros. Yeah. So you, um, you mentioned... Brian Tyler, Neil, you was going to ask a question regarding that unfortunate incident in 1990, weren't you? Yeah, no, I mean, he's a fantastic man. We all remember him really fondly. And obviously, you remember him fonder than anyone, Harry, because you were great yeah. friends. Uh, and obviously, you were badly injured in that accident as well. How hard was it to come back? Well, I mean, no, once I came home, I couldn't wait to get back back into it, really. My first game I, I, I went to was, um, I went to Reading to watch the team play at Reading. And um, I wasn't supposed to go. It was against doctor's orders, but I had a big bobble hat on, scarf around my face, and went and sat in the back of the stand. Uh, and the goalkeeper was the boy Guffrey. Hmm. What was his first name? I, Peter, I didn't bring him. Peter, Peter, Peter Guffrey. Guffrey. I didn't bring him. He, he came in the time that I wasn't. So we had a problem with a goalie or whatever, uh, and they bought him in, I think, um, Terry Shannon took over temporarily and I think Stuart Morgan knew him from his Weymouth days. And we, anyway, we brought him in uh, and he had a bit of a, and I ended up going in, you know, 
appear in the dressing room and they're giving him a bit of a bollocking after the game. If I was, oh no, he's back. But um, yeah, that was my first game back. But uh, yeah, it was yeah, amazing, amazing. You know, you never know what's around the corner, do you? You know, with no, that's right. it was a difficult time. We just got relegated. I mean, we got relegated that year. And this I can take it. But we we were sitting halfway up the table, top half. We mm. went to Portsmouth. I lost Willow. I lost Mozzie. I lost absolutely Kevin Bond. I lost a whole back four with injuries. We got decimated, you know. And young lads came in and played. Young David Coleman, you know, who we lost at a very early age. What an amazing young man he was, you know. David came in at left back and played when he was... Still only a kid, came from Salisbury, Ainsbury way. I had to throw the kids in, really. And we just, everything that could have gone, you know, against us was going against us. And it came down to the last game of the season at, uh, at home to Leeds. Was there any pressure on us to, on that result, Harry, at the time, because of all the trouble that kicked off? Um, no, I mean, it was just a scary day, wasn't it? It was a horrendous mm-hmm. day. I mean, Leeds came down, smashed the town up smashed all the cars in the car park up, took tickets off everybody who was coming in, supporting Bournemouth. I mean, it, I know boys who go to Bournemouth who are quite tough lads and they were scared to open their mouth. You know, mm. they were surrounded by Leeds fans everywhere. They just took over the stadium, really. Towards the end, um, uh, you obviously you had Jamie coming through in the in the squad. What's it? What's it like managing your own son? I know you've done it a few times. What's it like managing your own son? Well, it wasn't difficult because, you know, when he came here, he could have gone to any club in the country when he left school. And so, but we'd agreed to go to Tottenham. Terry Venables was a manager at Tottenham. Terry was wanted, you know. And then suddenly Jamie said to me, I don't, Dad, I don't want to go to Tottenham. I want to come to Bournemouth. I said, no, you can't. You've got to go to Tottenham. You signed schoolboy for, you've, we've agreed that you'll go to Tottenham. He said, I don't want to. He said, I don't want to go. I think he'd gone up there and stayed in digs with a boy who played for England, uh, schoolboys, who was mm, Sean Murray. He'd have been about 17, 18 at the time. And he said, you, don't, you know, you, you're never going to get in the team. You know, you're never going to get a chance here as a young a player coming through. They buy players. And I think it turned him off. And he's, he used to come training with me anyway. He said, look, I want to come there. You know, I want to come to Bournemouth and play. He said, I want to play. I don't want to play youth team football for the next three years and then be in the reserves. I want to play league football. And, I, and anyway, we had a bit of a fallout about it, me and Jamie. But eventually, he, was, he wasn't budging. So I had to go and see Terry Venables. And I got on well with Terry. But me and Terry had a massive fallout over it. He said, we're taking 12 kids or eight kids this year. And he's the only one we really want. He said, now you... He went, no, he said, you're out of order. And uh, anyway, it was it all got a bit nasty, but he came to Bournemouth. And uh, it wasn't hard to manage him because the other players, if you take your boy and he's not very good, it could be a, it's a problem. But when you take your kid and, like, the senior players all knew him, they all knew he could really play and play for England schoolboys that year and everything else. And so, yeah, they, it wasn't a problem. Even when I oh. gave him his debut at West Ham, I mean, Paul Miller came to me, Sean Brooks was ill on the coach, going to the game and so I make a Brooks he was sick and just had a, a virus and Paul Miller and that they said who are you going to play and I said I'm, I'm, he said why don't you play Jamie he said if he wasn't your son you'd play him Gaffer he said you'd play him I said yeah but it's not he said no it's, it's the point he said the boys want him to play and and I stuck him in you know and played him and how did it feel he to... was 16 uh... only 16 but how did it feel to leave us after so many years and so many memories? Well, for me, 
Yeah, it was difficult. It was difficult. You know, it changed. Things changed. Chairman's changed. Norman Hayward came in. Uh, Norman, you know, from Swanage. I got an okay with Norman, but I think I think Norman was close to Tony, if I'm honest about it. And in fact, he was very close to Tony. And um, so, yeah, I think Norman. You know, things were different. Norman had different ideas about how to. Well, we seem to have uh, temporarily lost Harry. He's he is on an iPhone, so he may have uh, had second, a call right. come through. One yeah. second. No, he'll he's, go now. That's, he's gone now. Um, so back. it was difficult. Tony was like my my assistant, and um, I think Norman fancied Tony anyway to be the manager. I got offered to go to West Ham, and I thought I've had a long innings here. Brian had gone, you know. I thought it's maybe it's time for a change anyway for everybody, and uh, so I went and. Uh, and Tony, Tony, obviously, Tony took over. You know, Tony was always going to be a manager anyway. You know, he was, he, I felt he was very good, you know, as a very organised boy. And, and maybe the club at that time needed a change. I can't even remember how Tony did it, to be perfect, mm. if I'm being perfectly honest. I went to West Ham and obviously I'm engrossed. Then with West Ham, obviously, I followed, followed Bournemouth every week, followed their results. But I, my memory doesn't quite tell me how Tony did at the club. I'd be lying if I said I knew. Yeah, so speaking of West Ham, off you went, and uh, after being assistant, you became manager, and you're famous for bringing through a number of young, yeah. talented players at West Ham. And th there's this famous clip on YouTube, actually, of um, a press conference where a fan questioned you about Frank Lampard's uh, talent and stated that Scott Cannon was better. Um, so your eye for talent, you know, always seemed to be there. We had a question from Craig Beasley, who said, uh, you know, who was the biggest a talent that you nurtured, but also um, who's the player that you've perhaps seen let slip their chance of being a professional footballer the most as well? Um, well, the first one to let it slip, he didn't, he didn't not become a player, but he should have been a great player, was a boy at Bournemouth called Adrian Randall. Mm. When you talk about talents, this boy was the most amazing talent. I, I couldn't mm. describe how good he was. He was six foot tall, strong, midfield player. He ran with the ball. He used to glide over the pitch and do stepovers. I used to play. Sean O'Driscoll, as I said before, was the best, quickest defender from a midfield player I've ever seen. And he used to run it. We used to do one against ones. If you ask Sean O'Driscoll or Tony, Tony Pierce, he used to send them dizzy. This kid had, he was, but he was so laid back. He was horizontal, came from Amesbury not turn up some days, couldn't... He really should have been something special. I really couldn't tell you how good he should have been. He ended up going to Aldershot, went to Burnley, did OK at Burnley. But looking back on it, it, this kid should have been up... He should have been an England international. He was that good. So he was a massive... Uh, you know, he, he really, I think, he, he wasted what he, he could have been. Um, good lad. And his boy's now playing at Exeter. His son, I met his son a little while ago, and they told me he's a good player. Uh, what was the other part of the question? Who was so who was the biggest talent that you nurtured? Difficult, yeah. really. Joe Cole was the best schoolboy in football I've ever seen. Best schoolboy player, as at 12 years of age, Joe turned up at our training ground with his dad to play in a game against Norwich. Uh, the pitch was ankle deep in mud. We're playing Norwich under 14s or something. Never seen Joe, never heard of him. I walk out to watch the game, it's raining. In the afternoon, the first team are trained in the morning. We've got, an, we've got a 
youth, this kids game. I'm there with Frank Lampard Senior, few three or four other boys who played at West Ham. We used to work with the kids with me, Peter Braybrook, who played for England, right wing Alan Seeley, who got the two goals in in the uh, UEFA Europe, uh, Europe European Cup Winners Cup final. We're all watching the game, and after ten minutes, we're going. What is this? We hadn't seen nothing like it. This kid was doing things I've never seen in my life. It was unreal. He was two years younger than the other kids from Norwich who had a good youth setup, and he was walking past them. He flicked the ball over his head, I swear, and over the kid's head and caught it the other side where you put one foot behind the other. Yeah, yeah. And caught them <laughs> and took. We're all going. Anyway, his dad was there, and his dad. Someone heard his dad say, ah, he's not coming to West Ham. He's, he's going. Every club in England chased Joe. Alex Ferguson. In fact, he'd signed for West Ham as a schoolboy. We had him on schoolboy forms. And his dad, George, was a lovely man, his dad. A rough diamond, but a great guy. Man of his word. Proper, proper, lovely, proper bloke. And he come up. Harry, he's going up the Man United for 10 days. Oh, now, he's signed for us. So, really, I said, oh, is he? I could have reported Man United for a legal approach, but I knew the moment I did so, out, George would have been, oh, yeah, bosh, he's gone. I went, lovely, George, listen, let him go up there. You know this is where he belongs. We want him here. We love him. He wants it. He said, no, no, he loves it here, Harry. He's going to go have a look around for 10 days. Gets a shirt sent to him from Alex Ferguson. Joe, this is your shirt when you play for Man United. Cole, number 10. Going every club in England, Arsenal, Chelsea, everybody. He was a genius. Pla- trained with me one Friday morning. I called him over. He's 14. We had a little nine aside before we travelled up north to play Everton or somebody. Joe, Joe's team won 3 1. He got all the three goals. The, pla- all the lads said, Can't he play tomorrow, Harry? He was 14. <laughs> so Joe was the most. They all were different. Rio came. Rio wasn't a schoolboy star. He had no clubs after him. He didn't start playing, really, till he was about 14. Uh, and uh, uh, We had a scout from that part of South London who said, I've just had a kid turn up for the town trials. I can't believe it. He's been nowhere, played for no one. And Millwall had a scout at the town trials, apparently. So they, they saw what, what this kid was. And uh, I think he wanted to be a dancer at the time or something. I don't know what he was. Mum, his mum liked him dancing or whatever. <laughs> So now it's between us and Millwall. Anyway, we get him. Uh, what a player. Incredible. Michael Carrick came from the North East. At 12 years of age, he was training with us. He went from being five foot to six foot one overnight and was so skinny. He had Osgood Slatteris in his knees. He was struck, you know. And then what a player he turned out to be, Michael Carrick. Jermaine Defoe, we took him from Cholton. Glenn Johnson. Well, you, you mentioned Jermaine and Rio. Of course, you, you, you managed to get both of those down to us as well, well which is fantastic. Again, lads, I'm sorry, I've always got, you know, it's always a story, but Jermaine Defoe, Mel rings me, Mel Machin Harry, we're struggling. We, we're, we can't score a goal. We're bottom of the league or near the bottom. We're going to get relegated. Can you help us? Got a striker. Yeah, I've got a striker for you, Mel. Oh, brilliant. Who's that, Harry? I've got a kid called Jermaine Defoe. Oh, right. I don't know him. How old is he? Uh, he's just 17. Now, nah, Harry, you know this league. It's a men's league. You know, it's not for kids. You know, it's... To... No, we need ex- we need a proper striker, you know. I said, he... Mel, he's a proper striker. How big is he? I said, about five foot six. He <laughs> went, oh, so now he's 17 or five foot six. He definitely don't fit the criteria they want, you know. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do with you. 
take him, let him come down for a week and train with you. I'll send him down. You ain't got to loan him. Don't loan him. Don't use your loan that you've got up your sleeve. Take him for a week. If you like him, you can loan him. If you don't want him, we just, I'll tell the kiddies, go in there for a week just to train to something different. Uh, I'm going to bring him back and he's going to go in my first team. Have a look at him. That day, I passed one, I'm back in the office, just finished training, phone goes, Mel, Harry, oh my God, we had a practice match, I think he got five goals or something ridiculous. Can we loan him for the season? I said, look, take him and see how he goes, you know, make sure you have, anyway, 10 games, 10 goals. Amazing, you know? And then Rio, same again, Rio, I loaned Rio out to come here. Mel rings me, Harry, uh, I think you might, they might have played at Rochdale or Stockport, somewhere up north on a Saturday. And Rio's in the team. He said, uh, Mel said, Harry, I've just had Mike, uh, Martin Edwards on the phone from Man United. He wants to buy Rio. He said he was at the game Saturday or someone was at, they've seen him, said they've seen this kid from Bournemouth. He's fantastic. Martin Edwards rung me and there's, uh, rung Mel and said, how much do you want for him? Mel said, he don't belong to us. He belongs to West Ham. So he rings me. So he's, I've told Mark, give Mr. Edwards, the chairman of uh, Man United, your phone number. Anyway, he rings me up. I said, he's not for sale, Mr. Edwards. He said, well, he must be for sale. He said, you know, you, you must have a price. Would you take a million pounds for him? I said, Mr. Edwards, we can sit all day. You, you can't buy him. I said, he's going to be the best centre-half in Europe. I said, he's a Rolls-Royce. He said, well, anyway, it was amazing that they end up paying £32 million for him years, you know, in later years. Mm. Um, we're aware that you've got to shoot a, a soonish. Uh, it's Harry, me, so... lads. I talk too much, don't I? <laughs> no, that's great. So I'll, great. I'll just um, skip on to your time on the south coast. Now, obviously, it was Portsmouth, then it was Southampton, then it yeah. was Portsmouth. Obviously, it caused a bit of friction when you went to Southampton. Oh my God! Don't. Was it? What's it like dealing with that abuse? Is it like water off a duck's back to you? Or no, do you, or do you take no, it to heart? No. No, not at all. No, I'm, uh, people might think I'm like that. No, I get really hurt, you know. Mm. It was pretty horrendous. Um, they loved me at Portsmouth. I went to Portsmouth in the championship. They finished in the bottom six for the previous four years. And I went there my first year in the championship. We won the league. It was amazing, really. We were 33 to one outsiders when the season kicked off. And we led from start to finish. And uh, I had a great time there. Absolutely loved it. The fans were amazing to me. And then I'd have ran with Milan Mandrick over Jim Smith. He didn't like, he wanted, he wanted to replace Jim. And I, there was no way I was getting rid of Jim. Uh, Jim had been a part, bigger part of what we succeeded as I had. The crowd used to sing Harry and Jim. And for me, Jim was just as important as I was for sure. So uh, I did, that was never going to happen. I was going to let him go. And then he brought uh, a director of football in without telling me, uh, Zajic, the uh, Croatian or, or Serbian or whatever he may have been. A nice man, great player. It'd been in his time. He came in. And um, so, oh, is it light enough in here, lads? I was about to say, it's just you, you're slowly descending into darkness. So, yeah, it may, it may need to be a light. Neil, what do you remember of that time? Because obviously, Southampton and Portsmouth, absolute bitter rivals. Is aren't that they? better or is that too light? Yeah, that's better. No, that's, no, no, that's, that's perfect. Uh, uh, yeah, no. So, uh, anyway, so I had a row with Milan and walked out. Uh, mm. I just had a bust up with him and left. Uh, I'd got Mandarin a month that month. I just picked up the manager of the month for Ward. Um, but, you know, I couldn't I couldn't have him getting rid of Jim and I couldn't have this new guy coming in without telling me. And I walked out and then within a week, um, I got a phone call from Rupert Lowe and I went to Southampton. It was the silliest thing I've ever done looking back on it because 
the, the hatred between the two teams is just it's it's scary. Yeah. I mean, it really is. They really do just it. Is it was unbelievable. What you know, my and my first out Southampton's training ground. I'm driving down to where they train, and it's a little T junction. As I'm pull up, you've got to stop and turn right, go towards the training ground. And there was these blokes digging the road, and they was all from Pompey, mm. and they was all great big. <laughs> them Pompey boys are a handful. They're a bit. They're all hard nuts, <laughs> and they're they're waiting for me. Got written up wow. on the bit. Judas, it called me everything. All, as I've gone past, all got shovels in there. Yeah, all shouting at me. Oh, every day they was in. I pulled up one day and they'd gone. It was like, oh, thank God, you know. Mm. They'd finished their, digging the road or whatever they were doing at the time. But no, it was a difficult time. And then I went back to Portsmouth mm. and it was a gamble. Really, I took, you know, Milan, they, they were bottom of the league. Milan, uh, Chelsea went to play at Portsmouth and Chelsea beat them 4 0 or something. And Milan, Frank Lampard Sr. got invited up into the ballroom after the game and Milan went up to him and said, uh, uh, you know, we're going to get relegated, we're useless and this. And Frank said, why don't you bring Harry back? He said, he won't. He, he, Harry hates me, he said he won't come back here. You know, Frank said, why don't you ask him? So he said to Frank, would you ask him? So Frank said, yeah, sure. Anyway, Frank gets out of the ground, rings me, Harry, would you go back to Portsmouth? I said, yeah. That was it. <laughs> I had a meet with Milan, bomb, I was back there. But when I went back, it wasn't easy because the fans hmm. had absolutely idolised me. Then it wasn't, you know, if I don't stay up that, we're bottom of the league. We got a Villa, get beat. We got a Birmingham, get beat 5-1. Birmingham were a relegation battle with us. If I don't keep them up that year, that would have been the end of me there. I mean, they, were, they weren't on my side. They were against, they had the needle. I'd gone back and we get, when we got beat at Birmingham, there was, they were all, you know... Suddenly, we went on a run. The last 10 games, we've got 18 points with 10 games to go. How many points have Bournemouth got now? Do you know, uh, guys? 29, isn't it? That's it. Is it? Yeah. Well, we had 18 with 10 games to go. And we got 20 points from the last 10 games to stay mm. up. It was amazing. I mean, we, we beat Man City. We went everywhere. Tough games away to West Ham. All hard games. And we, we just had an amazing run. And we did it we, after nine games. We stayed up on the ninth game. The last game of the season didn't really didn't. We played Liverpool at home last game. It, there was nothing on it. We were safe. Nine games we stayed up, but we got we we actually we took 20, 20 points from that nine games. I think and so. I think when you won the FA Cup, it it went some way for a lot of the Portsmouth fans to oh, you know, no, that forgive staying me up did it. No, the staying up that year. Oh, that, that, that actually oh, did it as well. Yeah, to stay up was like. Was yeah, I mean they were dead and buried, and for me to go on that run of that last ten games and keep them up, that yeah. was it. I was like back to being you know as I was before with them. So Sam, of course, Sam, we're on twenty-seven points by the way. I just saw that on the channel. oh twenty-seven. 27 yeah, yeah. So, well, we had eighteen at that time, and just you know you can't yeah, relegate yeah. a team now. It's impossible no. if they relegate any teams from the Premier without playing any more games. It'd be it's it'd be a disgrace. You can't do that. Who and then, knows? Of course, Norwich may get out of trouble. We yeah, did it with eighteen. Yeah, points. very true. Yeah. Of course, after that, fair. you went to um to Spurs, and I, I, I don't know. Like as a fan, up to that point, it it felt like me that you were a manager who was tasked with improving teams that otherwise had fairly average prospects. So when you moved to Spurs, did you notice a difference with what was expected of you? I mean, and was there a change in the dynamic no, between I went the board to and yourself? I mean, I turned the Tottenham job down eighteen months earlier. Mm. When I was at Portsmouth, I had, I had two meetings with I met, I met Daniel Levy two nights running around his house. He mm. wanted to meet me. He offered me the job, and I didn't want to take. I didn't take it. I stayed at Portsmouth. 
And then they, they came back in again. They, were, they had two points from eight games, Tottenham, at the start of the season. I've just been out to Portugal with Portsmouth, played Braga in the, uh, in the, in the um, UEFA Cup. Uh, got back on the coach Friday morning, travelled to the airport when I got a phone call from somebody at Tottenham asking me if I would go and meet Daniel that night. Uh, I told the Pete, Peter Story, the chief executive, I said, Peter, Tottenham want me, want me, you know. Um, and anyway, he said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I don't know. It's difficult, you know. What I didn't, but then the, the owner was a, a Russian um, Gaidamak, his name, um, Sasha Gaidamak. Tottenham offered £5 million for my transfer, for my services. And he wanted the £5 million, I think he felt £5 million was, was good money. And he was quite happy to let me go. That's good. So Peter said, Harry, I think he's, I think he's not, you know, for five million pounds, he's, uh, I think he had Tony Adams there and he probably thought Tony could take over and do the job. And we got five million pounds. It was a lot of money in him, you know. So mm. once he said that, I thought, okay, fine. If you're not, you know. Okay, Harry, we know sorry, Harry, we know you've got to go at nine. Um, would you come no, back on. on to do it? To, or can you, can you put, get someone to put the dinner in the oven for a bit? How long we got, son? Same. Sandro, how long we got? I love this. Absolutely. Suppose I go to have me dinner and go back home with the boys. Yeah, can I have me dinner? I'll come back in 15 minutes with you. Is that all right, lads? No problem at yeah. all. We can keep talking. No worries at all. Yeah? Yeah, Lovely you stuff. do that. Appreciate yeah, that. Otherwise, I'll have in a minute. Okay. Lovely. Cheers, Harry. So, Harry's off to have some dinner. Will he come back? I'm sure you know the answer to that. And in the next pod, we'll be dropping the second half, including a sort of 15, 20-minute filler that we did during that show as well, which we actually thought wasn't bad, considering it was completely unprompted. It was a bit like, do you remember that programme, Badil and Skinner Unplanned, back in the noughties? I used to love that. It was a bit like that, but myself, Jeff and Neil held on. And then after he had his jam roly-poly, he returned. So you're going to be able to hear that in the next podcast. So, yeah, that's another podcast in the can on the lockdown interviews. I really hope you're enjoying these. And if you are, can you do us a favour? I mean, these are free. We we take a bit of time to do them. But if you're able to, um, it really does help us out. And you must be so annoyed at this because we say it all the time. But the amount of people that actually do do it is so minimal. And we know the people that do it and we know the people that don't. So if you don't, please do it. Go to your podcast app and just give us a rating. Um, just, you know, whatever you feel. It doesn't have to be five stars, just an honest review. And we're aiming to improve this podcast all the time. And when the season resumes, we'll be on it again weekly. The YouTube videos will still be coming out. We'll also be putting them on Facebook as well. And then however long the break is, we're going to sit back, compose ourselves, and then hopefully prepare ourselves for another season in the Premier League rather than the championship. We'll see what happens with that. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate all your positive thoughts and comments recently. We'll see you for the next one. It'll be H part two. You've been listening to the lockdown interviews. Greenwood, the West Ham United manager. There he is on the right, sitting there. Never shows his emotion, but he must be thinking all sorts of things at the moment, having seen his side. Give away a two-goal lead.
Hurst. Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.